0: You have. We would be honored if he would join us. Greetings, my stellar Star Wars family. Kyle's here to hook you up with the raddest gift in the universe: Star Wars Audio Archive. Get those hyper drives revved up because we're about to blast off on a mind-boggling quest that'll send tingles down your spine and have you grinning like a sith with a secret prepare to be amazed as we journey into fatal alliance part four are you strapped in and ready then let's get started the sight of a distinctively rounded low-chinned helmet brought
1: loren to an abrupt halt with an urgent wave of her hand to signal to shigar to stay undercover she backpedaled into a crowded corridor and stayed there until the Mandalorian went safely by. A second glance told her that it wasn't Dao Stryver. This one's armor was silver and blue, not gray and green, and Striver was both taller and more massive. People moved out of the way. She grabbed a passerby at random. Who is that? she asked, indicating the receding helmet. Only Shishanka," said the mousy Ivokai, as though she were an idiot. "'Stay away from him if you know what's good for you. "'He's come second in two separate great hunts.' "'And I bet that hasn't improved his mood,' Lorin muttered as the slave hurried away. "'While the Mandalorians waited for the next big war to break out, "'they amused themselves by ritual fighting among themselves, "'drawing in anyone foolish enough to show an interest in their violent ascendancy games. "'They were dangerous and unpredictable in all things except one,' Having returned to the galaxy during the Great War, they weren't going to slink away again anytime soon. Lorin waited a full minute to make sure Shanka didn't come back. Then she moved back into the flow of the main branch and waved for Shigar to follow. They were following information gleaned from one of the palace's chefs. Two high-security visitors... The Republic and Imperial envoys, Laird and Shigar assumed, were being housed in one of the luxury wings deep in the heart of the rambling structure. It was difficult to get into those parts of the palace, but they'd learned of a shaft connecting the underlying service routes, like the one they were following at the moment, and the high-security basements. Getting from one to the other was taking time, but thus far it wasn't proving to be especially difficult. Lorin led the way following the map she had memorized and keeping her eyes firmly forward. Shigar was hard on her heels somewhere. She was sure of that, although she couldn't see him. He walked as lightly as an Alderanian swan and vanished into a crowd like a puff of smoke. When she stopped at the next junction to check her bearings, he simply appeared beside her as if from nowhere. Almost there, he said. I'll take point for the next leg. All right, she said. "'But I've been thinking. Why are we going this way in the first place? Shouldn't our priority be the vault?' "'It would be, if we knew where it is. When we reach one of the envoys, then we'll have our guide. "'We know they've both seen it. Asking the right people is always better than asking at random.' "'She heartily agreed with that. They'd learned a lot by mingling with the palace's downtrodden staff, "'but every important piece of information they had gathered came with a wealth of worthless trivia.' "'Sorting the one out from the other had taken more time than either of them would have liked. "'After you,' she said, waving him ahead of her. "'It was her turn to trail after now. "'A pair of people walking side by side always drew more attention than individuals in a crowd. "'Surrounded by unknown serfs and servants, they blended in, passed by, and were instantly forgotten. "'That was something Akshi Shankar would never manage.' They reached the entrance to the subterranean shaft without incident. There, Lorin tripped a passing Gomorian into a heavily laden evokai, and during the resulting distraction, Shigar activated his lightsaber and cut through the door's massive security bolt. Rusty hinges groaned as he swung the door open. No one noticed over the shouts and recriminations. The argument was barely reaching its peak when Lorin crept in after him. Together, they pulled the massive door closed. It was much quieter on the other side, and darker, too. Chigar took a deep breath, glad to be out of the multi-species press and the poverty they endured. He had glimpsed the luxuries lavished on those at the top of the social pyramid on Hutta. He knew what privileges they enjoyed. All around him was the cost and filth and sentient misery. That the underbelly of Coruscant was exactly the same gave him some pause in blaming the huts. Perhaps it was simply the nature of things. Perhaps Master Nobile's rebuke was well-earned. How could the Jedi Order change something that had endured for millennia? It wasn't the Council's brief. Not when the Emperor's wolves were snapping at the galaxy's throat. A faint yellow light flared into life. Straight ahead, then left, wasn't it? Lorin's voice echoed sibilantly in the miles of metal pipe ahead of them. By the light of her blaster rifle's utility torch, he raised one finger to his lips and nodded. She rolled her eyes and said,
2: "'There's no one down
1: here. That's what we were told.' He shook his head and indicated that it was her turn to lead. "'Better not take any chances,' he thought. Lorin moved off at a cautious lope through the tunnel. The pipe was dry and empty, and easily large enough for them to stand upright. They could have run side by side if they wanted to... Occasionally, the ceiling was interrupted by pipes and clusters of cables, forcing them to duck. And on two occasions, they had to jump across a shaft. But apart from that, there were no interruptions. They reached the junction in fifteen minutes. As Lorraine approached, Shigar reached out for her shoulder. With a firm grip, he pulled her to a halt. She looked at him inquiringly. He put one hand over the rifle's lamp, extinguishing the light. All was black for a moment. Then a dull glow appeared. The sound of faint movement echoed around them. Someone was in the tunnel just around the corner. Shigar moved forward, hardly daring to breathe. Through the Force, he sensed three organisms in a cluster, but not clearly enough to identify their intentions. If they were lying in wait, why the light? If it wasn't a trap, why the silence? He eased his head around the corner. Three large horned figures stood in a cluster around a lamp, looking up at the ceiling and scratching their heads. They were clearly Hortek, which explained why they weren't talking. They were telepathic. Furthermore, the thick work uniforms they wore and tools scattered at their feet explained what they were doing in the tunnels. They were a maintenance team, and therefore perfectly innocent. Shigar took a moment to reassure Lorin, then closed his eyes. His telepathic powers were modest at best, but they had been enhanced under the Grand Master to the point that she could convey simple concepts to him without speaking. The Hortek were receptive to outside thoughts and vulnerable to force persuasion. If Shigar could combine the two, he could easily get rid of them. He found the focus required with surprising ease. The practice on the way to Hatta had done him good. Within moments, the Hortek picked up their tools and moved off. Nice one, whispered Lorin, when the sound of heavy footsteps faded away. She eased around the corner and flicked the light to its lowest setting. It gets tougher from here on, Shigar said, unhitching his lightsaber hilt. Let's not get complacent. Hey, look at this. Laren had the light aimed up at the ceiling, where the Hortek had been working. Something had burst through the shaft's metal wall, melting it. Several silver threads dangled down like strands of web. Lorin blew gently on one of them. It swayed stiffly from side to side. It looks like wire. It can't be, said Chigar. It's getting longer. Lorin pointed the light at the bottom of the thread. Its terminus was visibly extending lower. Growing? Or extruding? Doesn't matter either way, he said. What's going on up there is none of our business. In a hut's palace, I'd call that a life-saving philosophy. The first security drone they encountered was a metal sphere that dropped whirring out of a chimney, sprouting weapons as it came. Lorin downed it with one shot, beating Shigar by a bare millisecond. She blew imaginary smoke from her blaster. You'll have to do better than that to beat, uh, me. She'd almost said to beat the Black Stars, "'but caught it in time. "'She didn't want him to wonder "'what one of the Republic's elite commandos "'was doing skulking about with him "'in the bowels of Barisha's stronghold. "'Just thinking about telling that story "'punctured her confidence. "'Still, what they were doing felt like old times, "'and the mental state was surprisingly easy to fall into. "'The brashness, the boasting, and the belligerence "'alongside the running around dark places and shooting things. "'Stay alert!' said Chigar there'll be more of those I was born alert she said not ready to abandon the old time feeling just yet the second security drone whizzed out of a side tunnel flashing its lights and issuing a warning to stand still Chigar caught this one spearing it through the middle with the blade of his lightsaber not so fast that time were you she smiled they moved cautiously drones were a danger but their presence meant that they were nearing their objective the luxury wings were almost as heavily protected as Barisha's sleeping chamber the shaft began branching and doubling back on itself shigar navigated them unerringly she hoped as drones converged on them like mill flies the reaction times improved with practice until the drones barely had time to appear before being destroyed. Then a drone three times as large as the others hummed down the shaft toward them, shooting rapidly. Shigar spun his lightsaber like a shield, reflecting its own fire back at him. Gesturing with his hand, he brought down part of the ceiling and crushed the drone under rubble. We don't want to do that very often, he said when the dust cleared.
2: People are bound
1: to notice when the floor caves in under them. They picked their way over the pile of fallen masonry. Up here, said Shigar, spying something ahead. She followed close behind him. There was a ladder mounted firmly in the wall, leading up into a vertical shaft. You sure this is the one? She asked. As sure as I can be. He tested his weight on the rungs. They held without complaint. I'll go first. Don't kill anything until I get there. The shaft led to a basement filled with barrels of oil buried under two centimeters of insect shells and dust. It looked as though they hadn't been touched for decades. Chigar moved lightly through them, leaving barely a footprint. Lorin was nearly as stealthy, and she was a sharp shot with that snub rifle of hers. Several times he had been tempted to ask why she had been wasting her time in Coruscant's old districts, but he didn't want to pry. Behind the banter, she was tight-lipped. "'if there was something he needed to know, "'she would tell him eventually. "'He was sure. "'Be kind,' Master Satil had said. "'He had thought very carefully about that instruction. "'It had to apply to Loren, "'the young woman he would already rescued once from the Mandalorian. "'Was it a kindness, though, to be ripped out of your home "'and plunged into the middle of someone else's war? "'Some would have thought not. "'But he sensed in Loren a corrosive rootlessness.' It could poison her if it wasn't counteracted. On Coruscant, she was just another disenfranchised person caught up in food riots, separatist uprisings, and corruption. What she needed was direction, a purpose. He could give her that much, temporarily if she wanted it. The basement of barrels delivered them to a door that had been welded shut. His lightsaber soon disposed of that obstacle. They entered a narrow, musty stairwell that led them up, "'level by level to a cellar that was currently in use. "'A team of evil-kai was busy unloading crates "'of delicate foodstuffs into an expansive cool room. "'They were far too busy to notice the fleeting figures "'that ran past them into the kitchens. "'Lorin found a closet, "'and Shigar lured a relatively well-dressed slave in after them. "'We are guests of your mistress,' Shigar told her, "'encouraging her acceptance of the lie "'by means of a gentle nudge through the force.' Obviously we've lost our way.
2: You're a long way from the throne room, sir.
1: Do you know where the two envoys are quartered?
2: Yes, sir. I work in the laundry detail
1: and am frequently called upon to attend those areas. You'll be happy to remind us how to get there. The evokai Kai provided a detailed description of the two suites. They were practically side by side, with entrances facing in opposite directions. The suite belonging to Envoy V.E. of the Republic was closer. Ever heard of this V.E. fellow? Lorin asked him in an aside. Shigar had to confess that he hadn't. Politics is my master's business. It should be everyone's business. Between you and me, I agree completely. Shigar interrupted the slave, who had descended to ridiculous detail in her efforts to help. You'll give us access codes to the secure areas, too, in case we've forgotten them. Yes, sir, but not to the suites themselves. I don't know what they are. The guards can help you with that when you get there, I expect. They will know you, of course. Of course, Shigar reassured her. You don't need to worry about that. No, sir, I don't need to worry about that. The evil Kai obediently gave them all she knew and Shigar committed it to memory. "'Before you go,' he said to her, "'I want you to know that it is unsafe down here today. "'Find somewhere to hide, and stay there until the fuss dies down. "'You don't want to get hurt.'" "'I don't want to get hurt.'" "'That's right.'" The slave left the closet and hurried off to obey his command. "'Ready?' he asked Lorin. "'I was born ready.'" "'You've already done that one.'" "'I have?' "'Well, you'd better tell me where to shoot before I embarrass myself further.' They eased out of the closet and hurried through the well-appointed corridors. It made a pleasant change not to be kicking up dust and running through cobwebs. Instead, fragile vases and statues lined the corridors, and Shigar took great care not to damage anything unnecessarily. Someone had made these things. The preservation of culture was among a Jedi's many missions.' They came to the checkpoint the Ivokai slave had described. Five hook sentries guarded the entrance to the Republic guest quarters. That was more than expected. Lorin took in the situation at a glance and communicated her strategy to Shigar with a series of brisk, concise hand gestures. He nodded, happy to take her lead. She rolled up from cover and came up on her knees, firing into the shoulders of two of the hooks. It toppled backward. Shigar left past her, using his blade to defend both of them. A third hook went down, struck by a bolt from his own weapon, deflected back at him from Shigar's lightsaber. That left two. Lorin took a close burn from one of them and retaliated with two shots to the chest. Shigar sliced the remaining one's arm off. He stood still in a defensive pose in the curling smoke. "'Ready to strike again if any of the Fallen so much as twitched.' "'Lorin moved lightly to his side, unhurt by the near miss, "'although her shoulder now boasted a new charcoal patch. "'No alarm,' she said with satisfaction. "'We got them all in time. "'The door will be locked. "'See if you can get through without triggering anything.' "'She knelt down by the lock and took off her helmet "'while he kept an eye out for passersby. "'A stream of precision tools came out of the left thigh hatch of her armor.' She applied them one by one to the lock mechanism, humming softly as she worked. Chigar was about to ask how much longer she would be when she pocketed the tools, stood up, and touched the access panel. The door slid open, surprising two hooks on the other side. Chigar deflected the blaster fire while Lorin neatly dealt with them. Then they hurried into the suite and closed the door behind them. The scene awaiting them was utterly unexpected. A gaudily-dressed Twi'lek was standing over the bodies of a Republic security detail. He reached for a communicator, but Shigar whisked it out of his grasp with a quick force pull. ''What's going on here?'' Lorin asked in crisp, commanding tones. ''What have you done with the envoy?'' ''I?'' The Twi'lek looked mortally affronted. ''These creatures came to harm through no action of my own. They were found this way, drugged in a cantina.'' The envoy is missing. Lorin pressed the barrel of her rifle under the Twillick's chin. You're lying. The envoy is an honored guest, invited here solely to do business. We bear him no ill will. He's got a point, Shigar said. That doesn't mean I have to like it. She reversed the rifle and clubbed the Twillick across the head. He dropped like a stone. You stay there while I double-check your story. Shigar closed the door behind them and locked it Lorin pulled one of the fallen bodyguards up to a couch and lightly slapped his face. He's got a pulse. That's a start. Before she could do the man any serious damage, Shigar came to help, lowering the bodyguard's head onto a cushion before trying to wake him up. One hand stayed on the cushion, the other cupped the bodyguard's forehead. Concentrating, Shigar nudged the flow of the force through his body, encouraging wakefulness. The bodyguard twitched and opened his eyes in alarm. There was a tearing sound as all the spines on his scalp shot out. The cushion absorbed them all. I'm sorry to startle you, Shigar said in a calm voice. You've been drugged. My name is Shigar Tanchi. This is Lorin Moxla. Grandmaster Satil Shan sent us to aid you. That wasn't entirely true, but as an explanation, it would do. The man pushed him away and sat up. He ran his hand across his scalp and cleared his throat. ''My apologies for attacking you. I am Sergeant Potanin. Where is Envoy V.E?'' ''We don't know,'' said Laren. ''We were hoping you could tell us.'' Potanin shook his head. ''We
2: must have been ambushed. Envoy V.E. was talking to a man who works for the Huts. His name is Jet Nebula. And there was someone else. A Mandalorian.''
1: ''What Mandalorian?'' Loren asked, leaning close. Do you have a name? I don't remember. He looked at Loren and Shigar in appeal. We have to find the envoy. Shigar nodded. An active Dow's driver on Hutta would be an unexpected complication, but it wasn't necessarily a disaster. The primary mission could still continue. All right, he said. You and Loren look for the envoy. If the Twilik is telling the truth, the Huts will help you. "'And you?' asked Lorin. "'I'm going to check out that vault. "'What you can't learn from the envoy, I'll find out there. "'Sergeant Patanin, will you give me directions?' "'Patanin provided a comprehensive description of the route "'from the luxury suite to the vault via a security airlock. "'Shigar committed it to memory. "'Did you see what was in there?' "'There's the Never come "'and an artifact Envoy V.E. couldn't identify, "'made of some weird metal.' Patanin looked apologetic. I'm sorry, but that's all I know. No matter. Shigar wished Patanin had learned more. Ancient Sith and Jedi relics could sometimes be identified by their markings. I'll take a look myself and see if I can figure it out. Are you sure you want to do this alone? Asked Lorin before he set out. I have my comm link, he said. I'll call you if I get into trouble. You'd better. She touched his arm briefly and then pulled away. ''See you later. Either way.'' Shigar left her and Sergeant Patanin to wake the others. With lightsaber at the ready, he eased back into the ebbs and flows of Tassav Barisha's palace and counted off the intersections one at a time. Darth Kratos' voice carried faintly across the thousands of kilometers separating him from his apprentice.
2: ''Did you see any Jedi in the Republic Envoy's party?''
1: None at all, Master. Axe could hear the disappointment in her own voice. She'd been looking forward to fighting something more challenging than the inept palace guards. If they're here, they're maintaining a very low profile.
2: It's clear, then, that they plan to steal the artifact before us. Otherwise, they would be visible. Your orders are unchanged. You must move quickly to ensure you get there first.
1: It will be difficult, Master. The doors are massive... And there are bound to be alarms. That's
2: for you to worry about. Fail me, and you'll report to the Council yourself.
1: The line clicked shut, and Axe smiled in the darkness. Darth Kratos was as transparent as glass. If she succeeded, he planned to take the credit. If she failed, the blame would be hers. But some of the tarnish would inevitably rub off on him if she did fail, halting his plans for advancement. It was amusing, therefore, to keep him nervous. That made him predictable. Barely three minutes had passed since she had set the charges. They were old, leftovers from a mining expedition that had abandoned its gear in one of the palace's three warehouses. But she had taken enough of them to knock a small chunk out of a hill. If the timers worked properly, Tassabarisha's guards would soon have something to occupy their attention. Meanwhile, she had crawling to do plans of the vaults sliced from the palace's mainframe showed that they were freestanding structures with their own power and air supplies. Surrounding all of the broad Durasteel boxes was a meter of clear space, filled with laser tripwires. If anything got past the tripwires and simultaneously touched both box and wall, a circuit would trip, sounding an alarm loud enough to wake the Emperor himself on Dromund Koss. The plans also showed that the vault was held in place by a series of repulsors... powered by induction coils at the base of a ferrocrete cradle. Ferrocrete was relatively easy to cut through with a lightsaber. Axe wormed her way through tiny crawl spaces to a position directly under one corner of the vault... containing the remains of the Cinzia. Wiring schematics showed no cables at that point. All she would have to do was wait for the distraction... cut her way upward disable the tripwires and leap across the gap within the hour she hoped to be touching the outside of the vault with her bare fingertips from there she would play it by ear she slithered like a rat through spaces that were barely large enough for her to breathe angling awkwardly around sharp corners and edging with her toes and fingertips she held her lightsaber ahead of her ready to cut through any serious obstacles the air was thick with dust and smoke She blinked frequently to clear her eyes. A subsonic boom came through masonry surrounding her, followed quickly by another. She held her breath as the palace shook and pressed outward with the force, just in case something heavy shifted into her. A series of smaller booms reverberated when the charges triggered a chain reaction in the palace's primary reactor, as she hoped they might. She imagined the huts and their slaves scurrying to find out what had happened. Whether they did or not didn't matter to her. Neither did she care if the secondary reactor restored power immediately. The vault was self-contained. Keeping her host distracted was her primary objective. Another minute's crawling brought her to the place she needed to be. The crawl space was broad enough for her to squat, and she did so, holding her lightsaber pommel before her. Closing her eyes, she it and raised the blade slowly into the ceiling above her. The bubbled and hissed. Stinging flesh struck her skin. When the hilt was flush with the ceiling itself, she stopped and closed her eyes. The power of the dark side flowed through her, raising the temperature of the ferrocrete to scalding. She breathed lightly through her nose, not caring if she was scalded. A red glow surrounded her radiating from the surface above. She maintained her concentration, forming a self-protective bubble about her as the ferrocrete became molten and began to drip. The bubble rose gently through the lava, delivering her without further effort to the space under the base of the vault. When the bubble broached the top of the molten ferrocrete, she lowered her lightsaber and opened her eyes. By the red glow, she made out the durasteel vault through the top of the bubble... and a tangle of cables that was part of the ferrocrete structure around her. They remained entangled as the lava cooled. Not one of the cables had been cut, so in theory no alarm should have sounded. Almost there. Only the tripwires remained. She raised her head carefully out of the cooling bubble... but didn't see any sign of lasers anywhere. They should have been clearly visible in all the smoke but not one glowing line broke the view. Intrigued, she placed her gloved hands on the still-warm lip of the bubble and raised herself bodily into view. No alarms. None other than those caused by her explosions, anyway. Against all expectations, the vault's external security system appeared to be disabled. Could the Jedi possibly have beaten her to the prize?" She crouched the space under the vault, next to one of the repulsors holding the massive structure above her head, and reactivated her lightsaber. By its ruddy glow, she made out the lenses of the laser system staring blindly at her. They hadn't been physically interfered with, at least. She reached up and touched the base of the vault. No footsteps or other obvious movements from within. That was another positive sign. An unexpected detail gave her further reason to be cautious. The midsection of the vault had been physically connected to the cradle beneath by a series of silver wires. She approached them, careful not to snap them. Their purpose was unknown, as was the way they had prevented the second alarm system from going off. As soon as the vault was penetrated, all of Tassau Barisha's palace should have known. Something unexpected was going on, and she didn't like it. Axe deactivated her lightsaber and sat cross-legged on the hot ferrocrete. If someone deactivated the repulsors, she would be squished like a bug. Quashing that thought as best she could, she cast her feelings out into the space around her, searching for signs of anything out of place. The vault, first of all, was uninhabited. Apart from the faintest glimmer of biological activity inside the anomalous artifact recovered from the Cinzia, She took the opportunity to examine it this way, and felt a rare shiver race down her spine. What was in there? The tiny life signs were clustered in four groups. But they didn't feel like minds, exactly. And something about them made her instincts recoil. My mother made this, she couldn't help but think. My mother, who should be dead. Putting all speculation on that front firmly from her mind, Ax examined the antechamber and the other three vaults next. It was possible, albeit exceedingly unlikely, that an entirely independent thief had targeted something in one of the other vaults, shutting down hers in the process. A quick scan proved that theory false. There was no one out there at all. Almost she gave up there, chiding herself for overreacting. The distraction she had created wouldn't last forever, and she didn't want Master Kratos to worry too long. Part of the point of telling him that the mission would be difficult was to surprise him when she pulled it off quickly. The thought filled her with anticipatory satisfaction. Before rising, she cast a quick mental look through the circular security airlock outside the antechamber. Her face twisted into an immediate scowl. Jedi! She would recognize that humorless and inhibited mental stench anywhere. A single specimen had bypassed the alarms and burned through the locks on the outer door. That was impressive work, but he wasn't moving fast enough. She could cut her way under the vault and up into the antechamber long before he had the inner door open. And then, when he did, he would get a whole lot more than he bargained for. Grinning, she moved from cross-legged to a crouch and began melting her way through the last barrier standing between her and her enemy. Dao driver used a dense adhesive web, extruded from a nozzle on his left cuff, to lash Ula and Jet into their seats. The dining room he had led them to was empty, containing nothing but chairs and a table, but as befit the palace of De Barish, these were fine examples of precious materials and design, and therefore too sturdy for the prisoners to break. Ula's head was pounding with the after-effects of the reactor core, but he noticed the gleam of metal revealed when Striver welded the door shut. Durasteel, most likely. Also befitting the palace of a hut. All manner of safety-conscious criminal celebrities might have eaten in this room. And died here, possibly. Ula tested the bonds and found them to be immovable. His fingers were already going numb.
2: "'You know my name,'
1: said the Mandalorian, standing over him. "'How?' Trying and failing to suppress a stammer, Ula described the report received by Supreme Commander Stantors from Grandmaster Satil Shan. That was where the Mandalorian had first been identified to him. He had no compunctions about revealing the extent of the Republic's knowledge, since it would assure Striver that little else had been uncovered about him, or Lima Zandret. Will you untie me now?
2: Ula asked him. ''The only reason you're still alive is because there's no honor in killing you. And no advantage either.''
1: The Mandalorian towered hugely over him.
2: ''That
1: could easily change.'' Ula fell back into his seat and closed his mouth. Jet sat in the chair next to Ula, staring unflappably up at their captor. ''I assume you know me from somewhere,'' he said. ''Did I ruin your sister's reputation?'' If so, I'm afraid she was quite forgettable.
2: Stryver didn't rise to the beat. Captain Nebula, I'm told it was you who spoke to the crew of the Cynthia. Who said that? Before a former crewmate of yours called Shinko.
1: He'd say anything to get your blaster out of his face.
2: My assessment precisely is what he told me true.
1: How do you know i any different from him?
2: I'll be the judge of that.
1: Why you want to know? What's so important that you go halfway across the galaxy to find it out?
2: Just answer my questions, Nebula. What did they tell you?
1: Do you mean what? Or how much? Ula didn't understand why Jet was making things more difficult than they had to be. I've heard the recording, Ula said. They didn't say anything to him. The Mandalorian turned back to him.
2: What were their exact words? they were on a diplomatic mission and didn't want to be boarded. Did they mention any names? None. Did the recording have been edited? I
1: suppose it might have been, but... Be silent. Striver turned back to Jet. Does the name Lima Zandrit mean anything to you? If that's your sister, the butt of Stryver's blaster dug into Jet's throat.
2: Do not play games with me. She was an Imperial droid maker who disappeared 15 standard years ago. Was her name mentioned by anyone aboard that ship? No, Jed said. And there were no survivors, if you think she was aboard. Shinko told you that, I'm sure. He told me there was wreckage, and that you
1: gave it to the Huts. Why would I do something like that? The muffled boom of an explosion rocked the floor, making Ula jump. Dust rained from the ceiling. Stryver pointed his rifle at the door, ready to fire on anyone who burst through it, but the blast had come from much farther away. A second quickly followed the first, and the lights flickered. Distantly, alarms began to sound.
2: The palace is under attack. There is no time now for prevarication. If you know what survived the explosion, you must tell me.
1: There was something in the Mandalorian's voice, a rising urgency that made Ula speak out of more than just self-preservation. I've seen it, he said It's in a vault not far from here What is it? There are two things, and they're both for sale The Cinzia's Navicom Intact? So I was told
2: And the other item?
1: I don't know what it is
2: Describe it
1: Silver, tubular, about a meter high Made of rare metals and some kind of organic component No insignia Do you know what it is? The Mandalorian fiddled with his armor and projected a tiny hollow bit of the palace grounds.
2: There are seven maximum security vaults in Tsar enclave. Tell me which one contains these two items.
1: Why? asked Jet. It's just space junk. You did not believe so. I'll sell anything. I'll try to. If you release my hand, said Ula, I'll show you which vault it is. You're not after this mystery planet as well, are you? Asked Jet, rolling his eyes as Stryver loosened the web, restraining Ula's left hand. Unless... Ah, yes. Unless you want the Navicom for an entirely different reason. Striver ignored him. Point, he said, holding the hollow vid out to Ula. Bring it a bit closer. Uh, that one. There, I think. As the Mandalorian studied the floor plan, Ula slipped his hand into his pocket and produced the hold-up blaster. He listened to himself speak calmly and without fear, as though he were standing outside his own body, watching what was going on. Release my other hand, he said, pointing the blaster at Striver's stomach. I prefer to talk as equals. Striver pushed the holovid into Ula's eyes, blinding him. Ula squeezed the trigger, but Striver was too fast. With one sweep of his other arm, he swatted the blaster away. The single shot discharged harmlessly into the ceiling. <laughs> nice try, Jet chuckled as Driver reaffixed Ula's hand to the chair. You've never dealt with this kind before, have you? Ula was having trouble seeing the funny side. The fear had come crashing back in. His eyes were still dazzled, and his hand felt like it was broken. How can you tell? Mandalorians don't believe they have any equals. Lorin sliced into another layer of the palace security program and conducted another search. Dal driver's name still appeared only once. His ship, First Blood, was docked in the palace's private spaceport. Mentally, she kicked herself for missing something as obvious as that. But she didn't lose any time over it. The architecture of the palace's security programs was even more baroque than the palace itself. Even if she had thought to search for the Mandalorian's name chances were it wouldn't have appeared the first time. Anything? asked Sergeant Patanin, who was peering worriedly over her shoulder. She shook her head. Searches on Ula VE's name had turned up nothing as well. You're blocking my light. Patanin was trying to be helpful, but he was no Shigar. I'll holler when i found something. Pulling another decryption algorithm from her repertoire, Lorin tried another route. Behind them, the toilet, Yima, entered the missing envoy's suite and sketched a bow. The bump on his temple stood out in bright red against the green of his skin. My mistress offers her profound apologies. The hunt for the kidnappers and those who attacked your sentries will begin immediately. Lorin scrambled the holo projector's view so Yima wouldn't see what she was up to in his mistress's security infrastructure. You have a Mandalorian loose in the palace, she said. And you didn't know about it? He is one of many. They do not like to be watched too closely. Now you know why. Perhaps you'll think twice about the kind of scum you're dealing with. Ema stiffened. And you are? Does it matter who I am? I'm helping you find the envoy. What are you doing? The Twillet turned an unhealthy color, even for his species. Everything in our power, naturally. Good. So hop to it. We're busy here! Yima retreated, and Lorin descrambled the view she'd been looking at. There's a whole other layer down here, she muttered, marveling at the intricacies of the system. Either it had evolved piece by piece as each new development added an extra level to what was already there, or it had been designed by the galaxy's most paranoid software engineer. Still no luck with Dow's driver, however. And Envoy VE didn't produce a hit. If either of the two men was moving about in the palace, none of the security system's pattern recognition systems was tracking them. Lorin was beginning to get desperate. This was the one job she had to do, while Shigar attended to the rest of the mission, and she was failing at it. Proving herself capable wasn't the issue. She knew she was, or had been at least. Otherwise, she would never have been in Special Forces. Getting a score on the board was the main thing after so long on the bench. In desperation, she tried. Jet Nebula! Instantly, a hit appeared. Not just a location, but a coded tag she recognized as a smuggler's call for help. Got something! Patanin hurried over. You said Envoy V.E. was with that Nebula character, didn't you? Well, I found him, at least. Patanin clapped his hands together and grinned without humor. Good work, Lorin! He turned to the escort squad and rattled off a series of orders. Half would stay, the other half would come with him. Lorin had to fight the reflex to obey. Had she remained enlisted in the Black Stars, Patanin would have outranked her. I'm coming with you, she told him as his group assembled, checking weapons and light armor. He nodded. I was just about to ask you, Lorin. Thank you. Don't mention it, Sarge. Take point and lead the way. Her face was burning as they hurried through the corridors the echo of their booted feet preceding them, encouraging the throngs to part. This was too familiar, she told herself, dangerously familiar. She couldn't let herself think that she was back in the fold. If they found out who she was, they would turn on her, just as the goons on Coruscant had. Better to stand apart for the future's sake. They'd almost reached the location on her holopad when an explosion shook the ground beneath them, followed by another a short time later. She called a halt, wondering if they were walking into a trap. But the blast didn't come any closer. The lights dimmed for a second, then brightened. The palace's generators, she guessed, damaged either by sabotage or by accident. The inhabitants of the palace hurried to find shelter. They didn't scream or panic. They simply gathered up their valuables and loved ones and went somewhere else. Such things were clearly not uncommon on Hatta, Lorin gathered. Nearly there she said, waving the squad forward again. She moved more cautiously as she approached the flagged location. Just because someone had blown up the power plant didn't mean there wasn't a trap ahead. The map grid correlated with an industrial-sized but very empty kitchen. Lorin fell back and let Patanen take the lead. His squad spread out silently to check every hiding space, communicating solely by gestures. They were well-practiced and efficient. "'yet they turned up nothing but a battered old droid "'who had taken shelter from the fuss. "'After scanning it for munitions, they let it alone. "'It returned to the corner it had been lurking in, "'watching them silently.
2: "'No
1: sign of Envoy Vee,' said Batana, stating the obvious.
2: "'Are you sure
1: this is the right location?' "'I'm positive. "'The flag said Nebula was here
2: and in some kind of distress.' "'It must have been here at some point in order to leave that clue.' But now he's been taken elsewhere.
1: There's no evidence of a struggle. A disturbance distracted Loren from the search. The droid had stepped out of its corner and was gesticulating wildly. Someone quiet that thing down, will you? Barked Patanin. No, wait. Lorin approached it, closely watching every move it made. I recognize the signals it's giving. They're from the Civil War. It's saying she searched her memory for the correct translation. It had been a long time since she'd taken the history and use of military languages during her special forces training. He's saying he left the flag for us to find. Not us specifically, but anyone who could help him. Reinforcements. He followed his master, Nebula, I presume, by a transponder of some kind, probably hidden in Nebula's clothes or body. He's trying to mount a rescue, but... He lacks the resources to complete his mission objective. The droid nodded, and she addressed him directly. Who has captured Nebula? A Mandalorian? The answer was yes. No wonder Lorin thought the droid had been looking for reinforcements. Is Nebula the only prisoner? The answer was no. Do you know where they are? An emphatic yes. The droid took Lorin around to the corner where he'd scratched a detailed map into the metal wall. She recognized that location from her own data. It was a dining room, not a dozen meters away. I think we can help each other, she told the droid, who nodded solemnly. Weapons ready, she told the squad. This Mandalorian is big and dangerous. If you get a shot, take it. But watch out for the prisoners. We can't afford to harm the envoy. The droid tapped her firmly on the shoulder, with one square metal finger. Or Nebula, Lorin added. They took their safeties off and fell in around her. Only when they were moving, with the droid taking the lead, did she realize that she had given the orders, not Patanin, who had obeyed along with the rest of his squad. That made her feel both guilty and pleased, although technically, she supposed, she had no rank now, which meant she had no superiors to worry about. That was the thought she clung to, and she ran to face Dow's driver for the second time. It was Ula's turn to have the Mandalorian's rifle wedged under his chin. He arched his back as far as it went, but the barrel followed him, digging deep into his throat. He was so close to Striver now that he could hear the whir of his suit's many mechanisms, even the hiss of air through its respirator as the Mandalorian drew in a breath to speak.
2: Answer this question very carefully, Envoy V.E.,
1: Striver said. Ula nodded. After his solitary act of defiance, he had no intention of doing anything other than exactly as he was told. His eyesight still sparkled from the dazzling effect of the hollow projector shoved into his face.
2: I will. You pointed to a location on the map. Was the vault you indicated the correct one? Yes. It contains the wreckage recovered from the Cinzia? Yes. He nodded as vigorously as he could to convince Driver
1: of his sincerity. The pressure of the rifle fell away. Ula rocked forward, chest heaving. He hadn't noticed that he'd stopped breathing. And you? Striver asked Jet.
2: Do you have any more questions?
1: What, me? The smuggler watched the weapon closely. It was aimed right at his chest. Just one? What now? I can't help commenting that you've welded yourself in here with us. <laughs> Something thudded against the sealed door. Striver and his two captives turned to look at it. The thud came again, and a faint voice calling. Open up! The Mandalorian turned away and busied himself with his suit, stowing his rifle and pushing buttons with swift practice movements. I can assure you, said Ula, that I have very little value as a hostage. Striver said nothing, as a bright red line began creeping across the reinforced door. The Mandalorian stepped away from them and looked up. A rising whine came from his backpack. I suggest closing your eyes, said Jet, turning his head toward Ula and shielding it as best as he could with his shoulder. There was a flash of light. Smoke and debris filled the air. The whine became a roar, and at that moment, the door burst in. Ula ground his eyelids shut on a cloud of stinging particles He heard shouts and blaster fire and felt bodies moving rapidly around him Something crashed into him and he felt gloved hands working at his bindings It'll be all right, sir said a familiar voice We've got you covered now Patanin! Ula could have wept When he opened his eyes the smoke had cleared along with the sparkles from the hollow projector, and Dal Striver was nowhere to be seen Two members of Ula's escort stood guard over the door, while two more picked through the wreckage. The droid Stryver had disabled was pulling Jeffrey. A soldier in scruffy white armor was peering up into a giant hole in the ceiling. Her rifle held at the ready. Striver had never had any intention of going out the door, Ula understood. His plan had always been to go up. The scruffy soldier turned to him. What did Striver say to you? Did he tell you what he was looking for? ''He's gone to get the Navicomp,'' said Jet, wiping dust from his felt felt. ''Why? Are the Mandalorians after the same thing as us?'' ''I don't think that's the only reason. The navicom wouldn't just show the ship's origin, would it? It'd show the intended destination as well.'' The soldier's helmet cocked slightly. ''What difference does that make to anyone?'' ''Not to anyone, I'm guessing. Just to him.'' The soldier nodded. ''Are you Nebula or the Envoy?'' call J Ula staggered to his feet freed at last from the Mandalorian's sticky web
2: Ula V.E. at your service
1: thank you all of you for rescuing us both of us it's our duty sir said Potanen with a brisk salute me added the soldier I'm just here for the fun of it with that she slipped her helmet off revealing the most beautiful woman Ula Vi had ever seen Under a massive statue of Barish, Shagar sealed the outer door behind him, using the force to assist the hydraulics he damaged on the way through. He recognized this type of room. The inner door wouldn't open until the outer door was closed. He crossed the circular expanse of the security airlock, noting but not being distracted by the gentle tinkling of the glass chandelier above. The air stank of smoke, which was odd. The mysterious explosions had been distant, and he assumed the air conditioning system of the vault was completely independent. His senses prickled. Moving slowly and silently, he approached the inner door. It was unlocked. There was one thing he would say about the huts. When it came to protecting their valuables, they didn't scrimp. The door was a marvelous piece of machinery, precision tooled to very precise measurements. It might not withstand the Jedi and his lightsaber, but it would keep a horde of safecrackers busy for a month and would easily withstand a small nuclear blast. It certainly wouldn't open itself. Shigar deactivated his lightsaber and stood still for a full minute. His slow, shallow breathing and steady heartbeat were all he could hear. If there was anyone on the other side of the door, they were being as quiet as he was. Reaching out a hand... He tugged on the door's handle. So well-balanced was it that it swung smoothly aside, revealing the antechamber he had been looking for. The four vault doors were exactly as Sergeant Patanin had described. None of them had been interfered with. Behind one of them was the mysterious wreckage that consumed so many people. In the center of the room, a black pit had been burned into the floor, scarring its otherwise impeccable whiteness. That was where the smoke was coming from. He approached cautiously and looked down. Someone had burned into the room from below, presumably to steal the vault's contents. But how had they avoided triggering any alarms? And where were they now? He looked around. The antechamber was empty. There was nowhere to hide. None of the vaults appeared to have been tampered with. All four doors were sealed. There was no other way out, except back through the hole... The small of his back itched. He turned to face the door he had come through. Certainty filled him. Activating his lightsaber, he strode into the airlock room. You don't look like a Jedi, but you sure smell like one. With a tinkling smash, a skinny girl dressed all in black dropped out of the chandelier. Her hair flailed in thick red dreadlocks, like the tentacles of a living thing. You stink of repression. Let's see what we can do to change that. The girl activated a brilliant crimson lightsaber. Shigar didn't return her bloodthirsty grin. He kept his heartbeat steady, raised his lightsaber in return, and adopted a stance of readiness. She came at him in a storm of blows, feet moving lightly across the floor, almost dancing, blades swinging like a propeller. Their weapons clashed with a furious electric sound. He matched her mood for move, but doing so sorely tested him. Every block jarred through him like a hammer blow. His opponent was small. But she was strong, and her eyes were full of hate. The dark side flowed through her in powerful waves. She drove him back to the room's inner door, and with a telekinetic sweep, slammed it shut behind him. Nowhere to run now, Jedi, she gloated. Why don't you stop fighting defensively and show me what you've got? I'm going to kill you either way, but let's at least make some sport of it. Shigar ignored her. He knew that some Sith used verbal attacks alongside physical ones to dispirit their opponent, but he would not fall victim to such a ploy. Neither would he allow fear or anger to dictate the way he fought. His master had trained him well. He knew how to fight a Sith, and that was the same way he would fight anyone. The key was to make fewer mistakes than your opponent, and to take every opportunity when it came. The element of surprise could make the difference between a drawn-out battle and a decisive early victory. Smiling calmly, he faced the snarling girl and reached out his left hand. Axe heard the sound of glass tinkling from behind her and ducked barely in time. Hundreds of tiny shards rushed at her, ripped out of the chandelier by the power of the Jedi's mind, and hurled at the exact spot she had been standing A second stream followed her as she rolled and flipped away, pushing off with her hands and landing on her feet halfway across the room. Recovering her poise, she wrapped a kinetic shield about her and flung the shards away. Only a handful got through, one cutting her arm and another putting a bloody gash over her left eye. She blinked blood away, relishing the sharpness of the pain. The tall, skinny Jedi was coming for her, green blade foreshortened by a strong, stabbing blow aimed at her midriff. She swept it aside, only to find that the move was a feint. He aimed a kick at her right knee and brought the blade sweeping around for her head. With a grunt, she took the kick on her shin and saved herself from decapitation only by reducing the hold on her hilt to one hand. Their lightsabers met just centimeters from her skin. They locked there for a moment, his blade pressing down toward her face. Her left leg twisted behind her, in a difficult position to use her weight against him. He was physically stronger than she, and wasn't above taking advantage of that fact. One solid push, and his blade would be burning more than air. He was stronger. "'but she was more cunning. "'Whirling his cloak around his face and throat "'took barely more telekinetic energy than it did to think of it, "'and the move had the effect she needed. "'Taken by surprise, he reeled backward, "'clutching at the flapping fabric. "'She retreated only long enough to regain her footing and balance "'before moving in again while he was blinded. "'Even without the use of his eyes, he still matched her. "'He anticipated her moves and blocked them one-handed,' His other hand tore at the cloak, fighting against its strangling folds. When he finally threw it away, he faced her two-handed again, lips pursed and bare-shouldered, and she knew that the game was really on now. They fought back and forth across the room, slashing and blocking and leaping and running, using walls, floor, and ceiling as launching pads for each new attack. Glass crunched beneath their feet and swirled around them in distracting, potentially blinding streamers was good. She had to grudgingly admit that. But she was good, too. And she fought to the very edge of her abilities. Her mission wasn't going to end here, skewered on a Jedi's lightsaber. If Darth Kratos was going to stand before the Dark Council and admit that he had failed, then she was going to be there to see it. The end came unexpectedly for both of them. She had tuned out the sound of alarms and the distant aftershocks of her sabotage, but she remained alert for everything in her environment, just in case her sparring partner tried something new. When a noise came from the other side of the airlock room's inner door, she initially dismissed it as a ploy to distract her. She had sealed her Farrah Creek tunnel behind her, so no one could be coming up that way, and there was no other entrance to the vault. The sound came again a muffled, metallic thud. And this time, she caught the Jedi's reaction to it. He was distracted, too. His eyes flicked to the sealed inner door. In that instant, she struck. Her ability to produce Sith lightning wasn't fully developed yet, and she didn't dare hope that it could overwhelm anyone with Jedi training. But she used it anyway, blasting her opponent with everything she had. He caught it badly as though he wasn't used to facing such attacks. And it occurred to her only then that he was an apprentice like herself. Like her, this could be the first time that he had faced his enemy alone. Unlike her, he wouldn't live to learn from the experience. He staggered away, flesh tortured and smoking. She maintained the surge as long as she could and followed it with two quick strikes to Midrick throat. He barely blocked them, swinging one-handed, holding his other arm across his eyes as though the light blinded him. Thrilled by his weakness, Axe lunged again and again, driving him backward until he hit the wall. He slid down it, blade raised ineffectually to block the killing blow. His comlink squawked. Shigar, watch out! Striver's on his way! He's after the Navicomp! Triumph turned to all-consuming hatred. Dow's driver? Here? It was her turn to be surprised. With one swift kick, the Jedi, Shigar, knocked the lightsaber from her hand. It skittered away, blade flashing and deactivating automatically. She staggered backward, disarmed, and he came to his feet, eyes bloodshot and full of determination. Not hatred, not anger. She didn't even have the satisfaction of that small victory. She ran backward, force pulling her fallen hilt to her even though she knew it couldn't possibly arrive in time. The Jedi followed her, driving her toward the outer door. When the door burst in behind her, she didn't need to look to see who was there. She felt his presence as keenly as a dagger in her back. Dow driver Caught between a Jedi apprentice and a Mandalorian who had already beaten her once. All she could do was hit the activation stud and hope for a miracle
0: now that was an extraordinary cosmic odyssey that has left me breathless the star wars universe reigns supreme showcasing the boundless imagination at every turn the anticipation for what lies beyond is nothing short of astronomical and i can't wait for the thrilling next installment but before we journey forth let's uncover the quote of this episode an insight that will illuminate our past And this week's quote comes to us from Joel Brown. He said, the only thing that stands between you and your dreams is the will to try and the belief that it is actually possible. Wow, that's a pretty powerful quote. And it's all about making your dreams a reality. And it got two key ingredients that makes it happen. The guts to try and the mad belief that anything is possible. First off, we got to talk about the will to try. That's like summoning your inner superhero to take action, no matter how scary or crazy your dreams may seem. It's all about breaking out of the comfort zone, going after what you want, and never giving up. Like you gotta hustle, put in the effort, and keep pushing forward, no matter what obstacles come your way. But here's the real kicker. You must believe in yourself and your dreams. You gotta have unwavering faith that you can actually make things happen. It's like having a superpower of self-belief. When you truly believe that your dreams are doable, you become unstoppable. You bounce back from setbacks, learn from mistakes, and keep grinding towards your goal. So remember this, your dreams are right there for the taking. All you need is the courage to try, and you got what it takes to make it happen. And that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed Part 4 of Federal Alliance as much as I did, and I hope you will join me next time for another exciting Star Wars adventure. Until then, may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shed and is a production of pick film media. This show was produced by Quinn McDaniel and was distributed by Swaycast Network. Star Wars The Old Republic's Fatal Alliance was read to you by Jason Odega. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.